over the last three years, there are so many deals that should not have been underwritten. I know they have pain of the stick on that pig and they're projecting blue skies on everything. So buyer beware. In this episode, I talk with DL Campbell. DL is a commercial real estate investor and developer with 19 years of experience. We discussed how she got into land development and commercial real estate, the benefits of land development over value add projects, risk mitigation, the market, and things that passive investors should consider before making their next investment. I hope you enjoy, now onto the show. How you doing, Dio? <laughs> I'm great, Chris, how about yourself? Good, good, um, appreciate you coming on the show. Um, really like to have uh, folks um, or I, I really enjoy talking with folks who have been in the industry for an extended period of time. Um, and by extended, I mean more than like the last three to five years, because real estate's been really hot for the last three years or so. Um, but if you want to even look at the last 10 to 12 years, it's been really strong um, ever since like the 2010, 2012. Um, for the most part, we haven't really seen a rainy day. People have been in business much longer than that. You've been through a couple <laughs> things. Been through a couple cycles. Um, and yeah, this, this white hair doesn't come from nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a few of those myself. Um, yeah. So uh -oh. let's start out. How did how did you get into commercial real estate and development? Uh, sure, absolutely. In 2005, I started to see the writing was on the wall. I was working as an engineer, uh, corporate America. And I saw a lot of third parties coming in. So I thought, hey, I need to diversify. While my career is awesome, I need to diversify. And um, so I started taking all kinds of courses to see where I wanted to fit in. And commercial real estate is very logical. So um, it's how I'm wired, it, it, very logic driven. And so it was a good fit for me. Um, 2009, I picked up my first uh, commercial property. It's a it was a small um, apartment complex um, in East Dallas, and I forced 80% vacancy because I still had my job, and um, I did the rehab and I retinited, and I doubled the property value in a year. Um, so that's where I started. I've done value engineering, acquisition services, um, all kinds of logical things in the commercial realm. But for people who are more people-oriented, there's also a lot of um, options in the commercial world where you can get into the leasing part or uh, the design part and the creative part as well. So I like that. Nice, nice. And so for commercial, because that can mean a lot of different things. Um, you mentioned multifamily um, starting out. Um, is it when, when you talk commercial, is that primarily what you're what you're investing in? Right. So that's a great um, question. And there's a couple of really good sources that have good training right now. Not how to syndicate, but um, NAIOP.org naiop.org and also uli.org uli.org i'm leading people to those websites if they want good commercial training um so commercial can be office which you never want to be in um light industrial it's not right now 
No, well, and it's, you know, if we look at it, Office has been soft for the last couple decades. So it's never really been a great um, investment opportunity. Um, I know some people who have lost money, unfortunately, in waiting for an office build. And that's, you know, they're trying something different other than Class C or Class uh, B uh, multifamily conversion. They're trying a different asset class. So I take my hat off to them, but not office, never office. <laughs> okay. Um, light industrial, uh, storage, um, retail. And so when we're talking about these different asset classes, we want to make sure that we're uh, keying into a good asset class that is recession proof. And not that multifamily is my favorite, but I get to be on the build side and that's logical. And everybody, Chris, needs a, a place to live. So um, it's uh, secure. We're, we're sticking with class A luxury, garden style multifamily. And um, our tenant type is the single young professional, basically in their 30s, building their career. So that asset type is recession proof, like we've seen in uh, through the pandemic. So um, you, you turned that one multifamily around and how large was that? How large was that one? Your, your first it was one? not big. It was it was a bite size. It was about um, a half a million dollar property. Okay. Well, depending on where it is, half a million could be, um, uh, you know, that could be a a, a fourplex, <laughs> or, or it could be a, maybe a twenty. Right now, you really can't. Yeah, you're right. You we really can't depend on values. Um, I actually ended up uh, falling in love with the tenants there, and I didn't expect that I was going to flip it after the first year. And the Lord had a different idea, so I stayed in. I got involved with um, anti-trafficking and anti-abuse, and we had we had helped some people to uh, stay on the property to get out of those situations. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, it was a different turn for me, but um, and then I have worked on other um, acquisitions for uh, retail centers on our website. We have a Starbucks we worked on. Um, and uh, phase value engineering to take a lot and get more units on it for retail centers. Um, so all of that scope as well. Uh, yeah. Right now we're building a 450 class A luxury uh, multifamily units, a garden style. And we're in the hottest market, of course, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did, how did you go from small multifamily to development of a 400 unit? Like how does that transition go? I mean, it probably didn't happen overnight. Um, I, I know a lot of folks that they, they like to stay away from development. Um, I mean, there's, there's no cash flow, but there definitely could be some, it can be very rewarding um, uh, on the back end. Um, but a lot of investors, when they say, Hey, I'm in multifamily, they're probably talking about value add or core mm -hmm. plus, which is more of a cash flow play. These are performing assets that they're already leased up and they'll go in and maybe update rents and management and whatnot, but you're doing new development. <laughs> How'd you make that well, transition? That's, that's, yeah, that's a great question because what we're doing is we're forcing value on the land. 
uh, on the land development play, you're forcing value on the land. So we're, some of the construct for finding a great deal is the same. Like uh, I found an off-market property in the middle of Dallas. That is unheard of. People are going to Houston, which is a marginal market, or other places because they can't find an excellent deal in, uh, in Dallas. So the Lord led me to a great deal. Um, there are certain aspects where you need to be careful and, and learn what to look for. Like you need to have your zoning in place and 12 uh, utilities on the lot. But rather than going in and forcing value on an as-built um, conversion, see the issue with all of these properties in the last three to five years is that they're doubly appreciated. And we don't buy commercial property like that. We buy for the cash flow. On one hand, we buy for the cash flow. And on the other hand, we buy for the appreciation. And while there has been some margin in cash flow, there has been um, no room for uh, value add appreciation. And we're starting to see it. And unfortunately, it's tanking the market because a lot of the people who came in in the last three to five years, they think a 2% interest rate is normal. Mm -mm. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we knew that the interest rates needed to um, normalize. And so we have lots and lots of buffers built into our formula. Um, so we're, we never buy on just cash flow or appreciation. And that's one of the problems that I've seen in the market with people learning is they're buying with absolutely no appreciation. The only place for that appreciation to go is down depreciation, and then they're losing their value. Then they have a loan that they can't pay. Um, and then if it's a class B or C, there's only so much margin that you can force those rents uh, on where to go. Um, so when those rents go down a little bit, the only play that they have really is in, in those rents and their profit margins are diminishing. Yeah, because commercial real estate, um, or especially um, it's more of the commercial loan products you have. So say you were talking about only buying on appreciation or only buying on cash flow. Um, both is obviously what you really want. Cash flow definitely pays the bills, um, but you need appreciation because that's your buffer. But at the end of the day, um, unlike single family where you can get a 30-year fix, 15-year fix or whatever, the bank doesn't care what your debt coverage ratio is. But in most markets, when you buy and you've got your spread, your cash flow, it's probably not going to change a lot over the years. Not so much with multifamily, um, because even if you were to get fixed rates, which is uncommon um, with, with commercial finance, it, it's typically fixed for a three, five, maybe 10 years. It's it's very uncommon to get like 30 year fixed, um, even yeah, if right. in that, those situations where you have it fixed, um, when that fix turns variable or due to market circumstances like excess inventory coming on, pushing rents down or, or, or whatever, the bank or, or operating expenses skyrocketing like taxes, insurance, yes. uh, uh, material costs, because that's happening. Um, the, the bank wants to see, hey, uh, what's your debt coverage looking like now? And once it falls mm -hmm. below a certain, certain threshold, 
then they're going to start, they're going to start bugging you a lot more. Um, and, 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 you know, worst case pushing some buttons to, uh, uh, to get you to perform or, or worst case take over your project. Um, but it's, 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 it's very different. You're looking for both. You're looking for uh, only, appreciation. Only both. And people aren't teaching, like teaching that. Uh, unfortunately, the gurus, we're owner operators, we're not syndicators, but the gurus are teaching, you know, buy on either. And we, we never do that. We buy on both. And where are we going to find those deals? Uh, probate office, all the things that we know, but we have to think about talking to a probate attorney, somebody trying to get out, maybe a second generation trying to get out of properties that their um, parents worked so hard for. They usually will sell. Uh, divorce court, divorce attorney is good for finding deals uh, on the courthouse steps. And it's not all about sitting behind the computer and looking, although I did do that to find our deal. The way that I found this off-market property is I was analyzing properties to the north of town and to the south of town, driving back and forth. I was driving everywhere, as well as doing the online research, driving for dollars. And I saw this little sign, and it is a, a seller sign. So we ended up in a seller's market, tough, tough market that we're coming out of in the next year, and um, ended up with an off-market property. We've been able to nearly double the value in a year. And that's the goal that you want. Same thing with those apartments. I doubled the value in a year. And we're forcing value on the land by working with the city, uh, working with the county and getting our entitlements. We're we're 90% entitled. Um, so our property right now is, it's worth at least double. And then when, when we get entitled, we'll take that um, equity in the property and we'll take it into construction loan. Um, it'll, it'll be three times the value at that point. So we're just forcing value on the land on a development deal, just like any other off-market deal that you can find. You really, in order to get a good deal over the last couple of years, you should have gotten an off-market property and use those other tools that we've been taught before to get that smoking deal. Yeah, because ultimately the best deals that you get are when they're calling you um, or when you're the only one calling them, um, which in that case is usually off-market direct owner. Um, but it's a little bit more challenging. I mean, with, with single family, very common. Like I'd say 90% of all of my deals were direct to homeowner. There were a couple through a wholesaler. Um, and very, maybe two or three were on MLS. I just never really did that. And then a couple of referrals from realtors. Um, yeah. You know, with commercial, especially large commercial uh, or large multifamily, you know, a lot of them are almost probably exclusively are through brokers. Um, but the, 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 there are direct to owner transactions and it's probably you know, the good old boys club where they just, they just really know each other and they know you'll perform. Um, any thoughts there? Yes, absolutely. You're right on that, Chris, because uh, a broker is not going to call you back unless they think you're at the top of the list to close and they have their uh, buyers that they know will close um, sufficiently quickly 
and so that's where those pocket deals are going to go. So um, what I did a thousand years ago, 19 years ago, is when I was talking to brokers, I would email them first. And then I would have a chance to think about what I was going to say. And because otherwise, you know, they'd ask me something I don't know. And I'd be like, you know, they, I'd be found out. So <laughs> you have to you have to work your way into it. That's why I did a lot of training, a few years of training before I took on my first property. Um, and also, uh, you know, if you have uh, a deficiency or a disadvantage, I would say a disadvantage. Um, I changed my name to D.L. Campbell a long time ago when I was working as an engineer because it just levels the playing field. <laughs> they get an email from D.L. Campbell and they'll reply, "Mr. Dear Mr. Campbell, I'm like, all right, good. <laughs> so, <laughs> I see what you did there. I just have to work it out. There was a there was a guest on a previous podcast. Um, he uh, shared a good uh, ninja trick on how he worked with brokers, and that was being very new in the industry, not knowing really what to do, what to ask, not knowing anyone in, in the market that he was wanting to um, work in. He called brokers in a completely different state and different market because he wanted to ask them all questions, and oh, yeah. he, he, then he realized what they wanted to hear after screwing up five or 10 or 15 of them um, uh, of, the, of the conversations, eventually he realized like how to engage in that conversation and, and the, the way he needs to approach them and how to answer their questions. So he could go into the actual market that he was interested in and not blow his opportunity. I thought that was a, I thought that yeah. was a really creative way of um, practicing when the stakes are low. Um, so that way, when the stakes are higher, you're, you know, you've got some reps in. Oh yeah, that's excellent, Chris. It's uh, because you don't want to blow away those brokers. It's a very small group, and uh, it, it there it 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 has been really hard to get uh, sellers brokers to return calls or emails or anything for the past couple of years. So I just had to double down and um, drive. I was looking on the MLS. I was looking on uh, Realtor.com. I was looking on even the trash of of LoopNet. CoStar, and I was doing a lot of research online, but I was also driving the miles. And um, it was really tough for even a seasoned person to be getting responses back from brokers over the last couple of years. Uh, we were just blessed to be led to this property, really. Yeah. Um, uh, market balance is coming back. So, uh, you know, sellers, brokers are they're a little bit more eager to have conversations now than they were last year. Um, what are your thoughts on the current? current market? Well, you know, there's a lot going on and I'm trying to stay out of it as much as possible. I'm going to uh, uli.org to find the the market trends. And we just had a really good update on the market yesterday that was very pretty positive, uh, very positive on the multifamily side. Um, retail is, is okay. It's going to be okay. Um, Industrial is going to have a challenge because it's overbuilt and office has been soft for decades. So we really had a good market update um, in terms of unemployment and um, also NAIOP um, has good training. Uh, CBRE has some good uh, trending. So what I've done is I've been staying away from those syndication seminars 
um, that are telling people to buy anything, you know, no matter what. Um, and going with more of the industry standard uh, professional organizations where I know that, like, I have all the knowledge, but I've put my guys through the ULI, the Urban Land Institute training, because they have good foundations of commercial real estate that a lot of these um, syndicators are not teaching. So I think that's that's the biggest problem is knowledge base. There's a skill set gap over the last three to five years, and it's causing um, it's causing a lot of uncertainty and havoc in in the market. On the flip side, you know what it's doing for our deal is the lenders are saying seeing our ultra conservative underwriting, and it's shining so brightly. So even with interest rates rising and banks closing and that uncertainty, investors have uh, pushed the pause button in some cases. Our investors, because our deal is conservatively underwritten and profitable from their standpoint, they are actually coming back in to strengthen their positions and increase their positions. So um there's both sides. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of volatility, but it makes our deal or any of your off-market deals, it makes them shine because they're much, much better. Yeah. And in market volatility, there's a flight to quality. Um, I mean, some may pull back and, and panic and just kind of hold off. Um, and then others, they'll, they want quality. Um, your, your blue chips, if you will um class a um as far as real estate's concerned so it seems like that's what you're seeing yes so what are you all working on right now we're primarily for at least our fund is primarily focused on workforce housing um cash flowing assets and strong markets that have long-term projection growth with and this is the biggest paramount very experienced operators so, yes, and these are operators who have been in business for much longer than the last three years. So like what we're doing one right now, in San Antonio, where they have 40 years of experience, 3 billion something in transactions, and um, there's um, institutional um, backing in, uh, the, in the billions. So, uh, and it's class A. So th those kind of assets um, are what we're focused on and ultimately what what i encourage investors passive investors or operators that um if you're going to work with someone definitely really underwrite the operator because anyone who's started real estate in the last 10 years for the most part they have not experienced cloudy skies or turbulence there's been some hiccups here and there and and local I mean, hurricanes, you know, you may have storms and then there was a pandemic. Those things are real. But by and large, it's been a pretty strong macro market. Um, that's not the case anymore. Clouds are brewing. Recession hints are, seem like they're, they're, they're always uh, being whispered and getting stronger. We just don't know. I personally am very bullish long term on residential real estate. But there are short-term challenges that operators are going to have to overcome. Costs just skyrocketing across, uh, like in, in double digits, year over year, like taxes and insurance and, and materials and labor. 
um, utilities. Then you have debt. I mean, that's that's the biggest, probably one of the biggest challenges. How are you financing it? Um, are you doing bridge? Uh, is it is it floating rate? What kind of caps are you buying? And, and how much are those caps costing you? Um, and, and then, of course, you have the local market and the demographics and, and whatnot. So we focus on really strong operators mm-hmm. in great markets, strong assets. And ultimately, everyone needs to be doing great- that. Underwrite, I think, and because we offline, we talked about a deal that um, went bust. It was a portfolio in Houston. Uh, very unfortunate. Um, and I didn't know that operator. I don't know them. Um, I've kind of heard some of the you know, rumors after the fact. But at the, end the, at the end of the day, what I hope comes out of that is invest the passive investors, the LPs, that they take on themselves more personal responsibility to underwrite the operator and not chase IRR. There's a lot of operators, uh, investors out there. They'll look at three or four deals and be like 15, 16, Ooh, 20, 20 IRR. Yeah. I want that one. And it's, uh, it's not that simple. Um, and and it's really dangerous. It is. And, um, the limited partners or the passive investors don't have the underwriting experience. And if it's a syndication, the the deal sponsor doesn't have the experience either. They haven't been through a couple decades of market cycle. So there's a couple really good key points that you mentioned. And um, we like to say you underwrite the uh, horse and you underwrite the rider. Um, that's the team. And if um, a property doesn't have an excellent team, you got to you got to team up with people who do, even if you have to give away a larger per- portion of the deal. You know, you want to be able to sleep at night because your investors are getting paid well. Um, and they are also safe and they're secured by the collateral of the property. So we want to do that risk mitigation in a number of ways so that the investors are safe. And, With, and can I add something to that too? Yeah, absolutely. When, when investors are looking at a, a business plan on opportunity and they'll see the management team, the sponsor team on, on the business plan, the PowerPoint, and it'll have some probably well-known faces um, and, and there's mm-hmm. usually a couple of faces on there that um, they'll tout their experience. They should have that, but ask their level of involvement in the deal because there are some uh, organizations, coaching groups and all that, that will lend the primary coaches or mentor lend their credibility Um, to help close a deal, but their involvement is very little and and maybe even none outside of helping get it closed. Um, Mm -hmm. So the last thing that you want is thinking, hey, there's someone on here that's got 20 years of experience and they they have 3,000 units uh, under management. Wow, they must be a good operator, but they're not the one doing it. It's the other guy or the other gal who... They just started a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and they're 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 really really green. So, and it's not that that deal couldn't be good, but uh, bad operators can ruin a good deal. Um. So, or, or, do, or I'm not they, opposed or to. It's not a good deal. 
or it's just not a good deal and it shouldn't be done. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with everything that you've said because um, there are very inexperienced people who are ruining the investment market. Um, and it's uh, concerning for the investors. So, you know, listening to what you're saying is so important is to drill down in there. And it's not about familiarity and recognizing somebody at all. I think that um, the bottom line is that uh, over the last three years, there are so many deals that should not have been underwritten. Um, the interest rate hasn't been at 2% or 3% uh, for a very long time, and it stayed too low too long. So anybody new in the market said, oh, we can, anybody can do real estate. This is easy. But what about when that interest rate normalizes at 5% or whatever? So we have to be underwriting our interest rate when it's not 5%. We have to underwrite it too high. We have to um, adjust our gross operating expenses too high as a buffer. We have to have our inflation rate at 3% or 5%, not 6 or 8 or 20%, because that overvaluates our property. What The way that we underwrite our deal and, and we have underwritten the prestige is um, we have five or six um, places where we've mitigated risk. And we said, okay, what if everything goes wrong? How will the property operate? And as a former engineer, I have to give the property a little bit of uh, uh, credit and go, okay, on the rinse, we're going to go medium to medium low. We're not going to go, you know, we're not going to project high rinse. Um, and so based on those numbers, that's where we get our IRR. But any other deal, I know they have painted lipstick on that pig and they're projecting blue skies on everything. So buyer beware. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, some of those will come back. Um, I, I think banks will probably be a little bit more um, willing to do what they can to negotiate before just taking back in mass, having learned from those names. Yeah, but they'll take them back if they need to, um, you know, or if they have to. Now, for newer operators, this doesn't mean you can't do deals. It just means like if I'm going to go do a new development deal, especially Class A new development, prime area. I'm just not going to go try to do that deal myself. I'm going to I'm going to call UDL or, or someone that I know that knows that market and that that type of exit strategy. And we're going to work on that from the JV perspective. And I'm going to take yeah. a back seat a little bit and learn while swinging a hammer, uh, learn, learn, learn while operating. And as, as you go along and get a few of those under your belt, then even though you still might be green because you're only three years in or four years in, that's experienced. But it's also experienced enough where it could be dangerous. That's when you can start hiring. <laughs> yes. You can hire not the entrepreneurs like like us. You go yeah. hire someone who has an incredible experience in asset management, project management, property yep. management, capital raising. You can hire those A-level players to join your team. And then that helps solve some of that, those credibility gaps. And then you can start that's exactly right. play the long game. That's you're exactly right. And that's what we've done at the Prestige is we have 402 years of commercial and construction experience. And these people are, are sharp. They have industry experience. Um, 
it's that credibility gap for somebody who doesn't have the 20 years of commercial, but it's also that knowledge gap because my morning was spent with our civil engineer, our um, general contractor, and our co-developer, um, and we all, and our certified arborist to solve this issue. And it is so fun to be in that kind of room where iron sharpens iron. So just like you said, we're we're solving that credibility gap, but we're also solving that skill set gap. And the skill set is what has been missing in this market for a couple of years. Definitely, definitely. Well, um, I think we unpacked a lot of uh uh a lot of notes there. I had several questions, but they actually all came out <laughs> in, okay. in that back and forth conversation. We did really well there. Um, in closing, I'm, I ask the same four questions to um, to everyone, and just to kind of starting off here, if you could give advice to your twenty year old self, what would that be? Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, yeah. Um, ultimately, it's not especially worth doing. for us logic driven people, we're good at seeing gaps, and that's our skill set. But also, we need to schedule in some fun. And so I have to correct myself and, and schedule that fun time in with family and with friends. Love it. What book or books have greatly influenced your life? Oh, my gosh. Great question. And so many books. Um, you know, you have from Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill to um, The Speed of Trust, the sequel from Stephen Covey. And I like that book because I'm like... This is my personal personality type. It's like, let's get it done. Let's get it done. But he talks about slowing down to speed up. And we're because we're dealing with people, not machines. Um, so the speed of trust is that if we slow down a bit, we can gel and move forward together uh, more efficiently. So I've, I've learned a lot from that methodology. Love it. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I try to do a really good job at um, being the best that I can be. Um, it's kind of a game. It's not a competition with other people. So um, I try to do all that self-work self -work and education. But I would say prayer has been the most helpful and especially in recent weeks when some days are very tension filled um and they're not very peace filled chris and so um if i give space for god to do his make his move and um sit at his feet you know good ideas come and sometimes all you need is a good idea it's like oh that, that's what I need. This is the person I need to call. This is my next action. And it really is great for stress relief as well. Um, I'm such a doer that it, it takes effort for me to, to sit, uh, you know, for 10 minutes and uh, read uh, some scripture or something. So uh, I have to work on it. <laughs> Love it. Um, how can people reach out to you? Uh, yes, you know, our website is honorswaygroup.com. We also have educational videos at um, our YouTube channel, Honors Way Group. And our current project we're very excited about is the prestige at mehill.com. So I appreciate your 
carving out time in your busy day, Chris, and uh, let us know how we can be of help. This was fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for tuning in. If you got any value out of this at all, please like, comment, subscribe, follow. I'd love to hear from you. And for more real estate related content, market observations, upcoming events, you can go to investedx.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. I promise you won't regret it. Thanks again.